Well, welcome to a quarantine edition of the 77 Minutes in Heaven podcast. I am Brian Damaris, and he is Mark Followell. We are in Damaris Manor, and we are uh, self-distancing, social distancing. We are. Quarantining, but everybody is at home and desperate for uh, entertainment and info and laughs. So we thought we'd keep the pod going weekly and uh, give you our thoughts on the latest developments in the league. And also just some uh, funny moments from being around the league for 20 years, maybe some inside kind of funny stories. So, uh, Mark, let's start with... Do you have funny stories to tell? Oh, come on. Everybody <laughs> knows I'm a famous local comedian in my own mind. Sure. Um, it's good to see you, by the way. Yes. yes it's good yes. to see you. You know, the the single guys being left out of the angst here in the... Uh, worry about you know local restaurants and old people and, and rightly so in all of those cases but you know the single guy doesn't even have a anyone to talk to and i don't even have a pet so i'm uh not not that not that i need an excuse for women to stay six to eight feet away from me but uh you know this isn't helping much <laughs> well i'm glad that uh you're getting some social contact and social connection today that's a good thing and and i loved your idea and everybody listening should know uh, you know, that this is uh, this was Brian's idea to do this. And I thought it was a great idea because I think you're right that that people, uh, you know, these are these are trying and difficult times. Um, we're all making the best of an unprecedented situation in whatever way that we can make the best of it, whatever you choose to do. There's obviously lots of different ways to do that. And, uh, you know, hopefully 30 or 40 minutes a week of us will help people make the best of this unique and unprecedented situation. I hope help the time go by a little bit faster. So let's, uh, before we have some fun and yucks, let's touch on what our thoughts are on the latest news. And Shams and Woj had some interesting information from uh, former Surgeon General's comments to the league owners on a call yesterday. Yes, that is correct. And uh, from The Athletic, Sham Sharania tweeted yesterday afternoon that uh, Dr. From, from sources, that Dr. Vivek Murthy, former U.S. Surgeon General, told NBA owners today, uh, and I believe this was via conference call, about coronavirus, saying that if the U.S. had not hardened its stance across the country, millions were at risk to die and cases will likely only increase, as they did in Italy, over the next two to three months. Uh, there was an NBA Board of Governors call where he spoke and provided what Sham said was sobering details, facts and sobering details, that is, about the coronavirus pandemic. You know, the last time that you and I did a pod, Brian, it was Thursday morning after the Denver Mavs, the Mavs-Denver game Wednesday the last, night. Uh, the last night of games. Yep. Was the night before. Can't believe that was a week ago. Uh, so Thursday morning, you and I were sitting here at Damaris Manor doing the podcast, and Adam Silver hadn't even come out with his letter to the fans at that point, which basically said that the league was going to be on hiatus for a minimum of 30 days. Sham's tweet, other things that have been out there have basically indicated that clearly 30 days is not going to be the, the end of where we are and getting the NBA back up and restarted. Uh, but it does at least appear like that still is the focus of everyone. But June at this point seems to be kind of the the realistic month I hear people throwing out at this at this at this point in time. Do you do you hear the same things? Yeah, I think they were hoping for you know mid May in general. Um, but it looks like June. What they're doing is there's basically three options. Number one is you're canceling the season. Right. Number two is to restart. Have you know a week, 10 days of a camp, play some regular season games and go into playoffs. And three is to do that, but to do those games uh, with no fans. Right. At least 
for the regular season portion. And hopefully then by the playoff portion, maybe you could add fans. And so they're asking teams to scout out arena possibilities. If those, you know, their own arenas, you don't need a 20,000 seat arena, right? So you could use your G league arena. You could use your practice facility. Mm -hmm. You could add interesting ways to then, you know, could you mic up players or use interesting TV angles? Everything's on the table. So those are kind of the three options. But it's brought up really an interesting question that I know a lot of people are now kind of running with. And I kind of like it. Steve Kuhn, the president of the Hawks, first brought this up last week, which is, you know, if if that is the case and the season isn't canceled, well, if games go into August, you're certainly not starting camp October 1st like you usually do. Correct. Right. So you would then have to basically do a season started like you did the lockout year of 2012, which the first games were on Christmas Day, uh, and have a 66-game season, which is then you'd have back-to-back-to-backs and all that kind of mess. Uh, but that would be the most games you could play. So then you would have a second season of fewer games, which is fewer revenue, which is lower salaries and for the players and all of that. Sure. Or you just shift the entire calendar to where instead of starting games the middle of October like it is now and competing with football, which is on, Monday, Thursday, high school Friday, college Saturday, and then obviously Sunday, mm-hmm. move it to Christmas, and then you basically can own the calendar through August. You know, traditionally, obviously, oh, well, people go on vacation in July and August, and that was kind of the thinking why, TV-wise, you wouldn't want your biggest games then, but maybe this will be a test case to, to see what that's like, and I don't know that it's a terrible idea. Oh, I don't think it's a terrible idea at all. Uh, I'm very, very intrigued by it. Look, the the beyond the how are you going to proceed forward from something that has clearly you know put your schedule in a place that it's never been in before. So how do you come out the other side of it? Well, look, at a minimum, I think that would be a one year experiment that you would have no choice to do. Uh, you know, the whatever is going to happen to the rest of this season would mandate that you would have to do that for the 2020, 2021 season. Yeah, but it's whether you shorten it. Yeah. Or go the full and, the whole and still end in June, or or go full and, and end in August. Well, and I, I think your point is right that you know you've already lost significant revenue this season, which has a domino effect for not just this season, but it has a domino effect for future seasons because of how it impacts BRF, BRI basketball related income, which of course the cap is tied to that, and so you have so many other dynamics other than just who's getting money in their pocket immediately or who isn't getting money in their pocket immediately based on the cancellation of these games. You have long-range things that that this and how you formulate the next season will impact from a cap standpoint and from how teams will spend their money and what money they'll have to spend and that sort of thing. So to me, it's like, look, I, I think it's a great idea. The, the things beyond just the fact that you have to move the calendar because of what's happening that it opens up is, as you just noted, football is, I mean, the NFL... We've seen business being conducted for the last couple of days and the attention, especially with the entire rest of the global sports world having shut down for all intents and purposes, uh, the NFL, how much they're dominating the news, how much interest there is. So if you started games at Christmas, uh, you basically would overlap with, at even with the 17-game calendar that the NFL is going to, what you would overlap with maybe two weeks of regular season games, and then their month-long, their four weeks of playoffs at that point. So... Uh, you, you get away from a lot of competition from the NFL. Uh, you you put yourself in a position where, you know, you would have less competition whenever your biggest games are played. Also, when if you if you play during the summertime because you don't have, uh, you know, your biggest late regular season games up against the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, who knows what hockey is going to do? 
you know, you don't have some of your big games maybe up against golf majors and, and you know, the NBA finals seem to overlap with some big events in golf, uh, you know, some big events in, in other parts of the sports world as well. So I think that, yeah, you open up just a, a window where you have a lot less competition and you really have an opportunity to dominate the sports landscape. Yeah, and it's something that will have to be collectively bargained. But uh, I don't know. I think just out of kind of having to deal with this, they may have stumbled on something that, that may work. And again, if the season does uh, start up back in June, then, uh, you know, this will be a good test case. Now, there'll be a lot of events being now pushed back, you know, mm-hmm. the Masters, the Derby, the golf majors, uh, you know, tons of things, the Stanley Cup. So, you know, we'll see whether the viewership is there in July and August. And frankly, you know, TV drives all this. That's the biggest chunk of money right. that, that's coming through. Um, in terms of getting a regular season started again, you know, everybody played, as you mentioned last week, between 63 and 67 games. The Mavs and Atlanta had the most at 67, the Lakers and Spurs at 63. So the average was about 65 games. You know, you would have a shortened season of maybe 72 games, play seven more. Mm-hmm. We would play five more, uh, you know, after a little Mini training, camp. training camp. That will take you another uh, two weeks. So you're talking about three weeks to a month before you get the playoffs started. And then, you know, the playoffs are two months. Mm-hmm. So maybe you even have to crank your regular season and camp even shorter than that. Could but, you, could you have to do, I wonder if you would have to do something like, I, I don't think you would want to do anything you, where you would lessen playoff games, but would you go to for a year or five game first round playoff series? Like it used to be. Right. Remember the first round, right, maybe in the first round only. Yeah. Yeah. The first round was best of five up until it would changed in 2003. And then it became a best of seven. Uh, would the possibility of, you know, we've always kind of joked this year and laughed about the whole thing with Porzingis sitting on the second night of back-to-backs and saying, well, the good news is, is this would never be a bridge you would ever have to cross in the playoffs. But what if to expedite the playoff process that there ended up being the occasional random back-to-back during the playoffs? And there used to be like back-to-backs. That. I remember in the '03 uh, playoffs, uh, the Mavs and Kings played a weekend, Saturday and Sunday, yeah. in Sacramento back-to-back. Yep, that's exactly right. The year that Dallas beat them in seven games, they played games three and four out west in a back-to-back. Matt, so, and I think uh, I think the first one of those had to go. That was the first one that had to go. The first one went double overtime. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Big Walt Williams game, I believe. <laughs> his, his, another reference for Walt Williams on this podcast. But so you know, so I think that's an interesting thing that we'll see play out. And and, and again, everything changes, and it's all dependent on what's happening globally. I think the good news is, you know, if you're watching kind of the you know Anthony Fauci, who's the head health expert from NIH on this, you know, they do feel that the quarantining and self-distancing has already made an effect. You mm-hmm. know, I think, as you mentioned, a week ago, we were at a game. Right. And now we are, you know, restaurants and bars are closed. Right. So it's very quickly what's happened. And, and so it'll, there's a lag time in how we'll see the results of that. But uh, hopefully that's good news. And as the weather gets warmer, that uh, we can see basketball again. But- yeah. And the, and the point of the weather getting warmer is, will the vi- will coronavirus behave like, uh, many viral infections do, and that is that basically it's seasonal uh, in right. terms of cold and dry weather uh, prohibits spread and, and and such, and warm, humid weather uh, suppresses it. And so as we start to head into spring here in the northern hemisphere, then hopefully, uh, you know, some good news along those lines will come down. But but as every, you know, person in medical science has said, it's a new virus. We don't know how it's going to behave. It might behave in a way that other viruses do, but we just don't know that yet. 
Now, there was another major competition last night, and that was between Jalen Brunson and Luka Doncic uh, on FIFA. Yeah, the games still go on, apparently. Yeah. Even and though- <laughs> they're, they're broadcasting those on, on some platform. I don't, I don't think it's Twitch, but it's something. And, uh, and they're putting some gambling on it. I think Luka won last night. And so Jalen, the next time the Mavs do play, Jalen has to wear an outfit of Luka's choosing, which there's no telling what that'll be. <laughs> By the way, Jalen had shoulder surgery last week. That's another thing that's happened. Since yes, our I was going to be in the offseason. They said, well, might as well do it now because, you know, if it's a six-week recovery, then you might be able to play again. Right, right. Now, that, of course, no timetable was released whenever the Mavs announced the shoulder surgery, the repair of the torn labrum in Jalen's right shoulder. When I looked around online to kind of get an idea for what a typical recovery period from that surgery is, what I found was it really depends on what the extent of the damage is and what had to be done in terms of that. And the Mavs haven't said anything about that. And I guess really at this point, there's no point in divulging that sort of thing to get people's hopes up uh, and to, you know, to mislead anybody about what the potential for him to return and be ready for whatever is going to comprise the remainder of the season, whenever it does start back up again. But I guess, uh, that was, uh, at least he's on the road back in that regard, but not on the road to success in FIFA anyway. I guess well, his thumbs work. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, listen, he did an AMA a few days ago. I mean, this is a good time to connect with those guys if you're a fan and they're, they're on their phones more and maybe they'll answer you a question or, or you can enjoy watching them kind of in their personal life play video games against each other. This is a, you know, it's obviously a difficult for a lot of people and, and, and isolating, but because of social media, there are cool bonding ways mm-hmm. uh, and moments. I have a friend who's, you know, playing video games and fun little trivia games on, on Twitch every night. And, you know, there's a little community. It's fun. So I think sure. we should look for those bright aspects of it. And that's kind of, again, that's kind of why we're, we're doing this, just to provide some levity. And I think... Uh, By the way, Brian, Jalen graduated from Villanova in three years with a communications degree. So uh, I, I know that that he certainly likes the idea of... Even though basketball is his number one thing, I've talked to him about it before, and you know, I don't know if he's still 100% certain that broadcasting is the thing that he wants to do when his post-playing career is over. Obviously, as you grow older, your mind changes about those sorts of things. But I know that being a communications major, I'm sure that Jalen probably is enjoying the chance to sort of uh, uh, practice a little bit on, even though it's social media, it's not necessarily broadcast communication skills. I think that uh, maybe part of the reason why he's a little bit more active is that this is... This is kind of his background, and I think what he, he envisions for himself in some way, in some similarity to what his post-playing career might look like. Well, you're one who has an off-season, even though you do FC Dallas games and, and some college football. Uh, your summers are, are obviously have more free time, but you're usually pretty packed right about now. So what does Mark Falwell do in March when uh, you don't have incessant time? I'm sure the lovely Mrs. Falwell may want you out of the house some she does yeah <laughs> she has conference calls you know her uh she works for uh an email data company and so she's she's now working from home they uh they've asked all non-essential employees to work essential employees to work from home uh but she's still having conference calls and zoom calls and video chats and things like that so i have to kind of stay in the background and stay quiet at those points uh whenever that's happening but you know, as you know, uh, taking a couple of classes and working towards uh, degree completion at North Texas. And so that's keeping me a little bit busy. And I mentioned on Twitter a few days ago that uh, I've made, let's see, uh, a Southwest pasta uh, with uh, roasted uh, tomatoes and 
bell peppers and bacon and cotilla cheese and cilantro. Let's see. That was one day. Wow. Uh, I think I, maybe you can just start taking orders. <laughs> I mean, we do need delivery service. You but. did bring me some enchiladas today that I'm going to, I'm going to have right afterwards, which was a nice little treat. Yes. I, I had no idea you had these, uh, these skills, chicken quesadillas, chicken enchiladas, a homemade tomatillo salsa. We've had that. Uh, that's been on the menu. Uh, gosh, what else have I been? Uh, what else have I been prepping? I had another one that I uh, something I oh I had a uh, a chicken with a uh, balsamic apricot glaze that I made, which is really easy. You know, if you just put if you if you take uh, a skillet and you take balsamic vinegar and just a little drizzle of olive oil. And then you use like something like apricot jam and you melt that down and then you just stir that together. Then that's how you can make a glaze. It's a little sauce that you can put on chicken. So there you go. Boom. Quick recipe right there on a glaze that you can make. Look at this guy. Shiftel for those who are (laughs) over the age of 50 and remember the 1970s PM magazine host. Very simple, very easy. That was his catchphrase. I had no idea because you are also taking a class in meteorology. Is that right? Yeah, I am. What is wrong with you? Well, I am a man of uh, I'm, I'm a man of interest, and so that's going to. Are you just I doing need, that for personal growth? No, well, th- that's a, something I'm interested in, but that's also towards uh, deg- degree completion at North Texas. Oh, I okay. Need, I need the advanced hours, and it's in uh, the uh, under under the realm of geography, which is a, a particular area that I'm concentrating on. So, so yeah, I'm taking that class. You're it's an extremely a, strange person. <laughs> It's an individual study class at Oklahoma State, so I would have a whole year to finish it from the time I started it in February, but I'm trying to push myself to get it done by sometime in June. That way it's on a transcript or being completed during the summer session, which then I can transfer into North Texas and be ready for my my, uh, graduation in December of 2020. Well, I did notice that uh, NBA Eats on Instagram, is that Coop's account? That's Chuck. Yes, Chuck, Chuck. But you're yep. you kind of help contribute, or you go with him on the road at dinner a lot. Yeah, I guess uh, you know. I guess now it makes sense for this cooking that you're, you know, you're always looking for. How, how do you come up with where to go to eat on the road? I know there's, you know, you can talk to your fellow announcers and maybe some people on things, but how do you, you know, you don't want to go to chains, right? You want to experience yeah. kind of the local flavor right. of somewhere. How do you come up with those places? Uh, sometimes it's something I've maybe seen on a TV show. I mean, I've watched a lot of episodes over the years of diners, drive-ins, and dives, the sure. Guy Fieri show. That's, that's one thing I always do. Whenever I go to a city, I always look that up to see what are those restaurants and, yes. and if they're near where I am and I can get there and go to those. So I've done that before. And sometimes it's just as simple as getting the phone out and looking at Google Maps and saying, okay, well, here's where the hotel is. I'm going to type in restaurants on Google Maps and and see what 10 or 15 restaurants that I think are in reasonable walking distance of the hotel come up. And let me look at some of these, look at some reviews and see what looks good and what looks unique and something that I think I would want to try. You know, there's certainly been times when maybe it's been a particular food that I'm interested in. Uh, for example, just when we were in Houston for the game in late January, I was in the mood. And I know that since that since Houston has... Uh, a very, very diverse population. And so you have a lot of different food options. I was, for whatever reason, craving the uh, delicious Vietnamese banh mi style sandwich. So I, I spent one night for 20 or 30 minutes looking at, I, I searched on Google, best banh mi sandwiches in Houston and looked to see where they were and were they a short Uber, a walk from the hotel? What kind of options did I have? How do the reviews look for them? And, and so, yeah, that, that sort of thing. Those are my, uh, those are my, that's my methodology for determining 
where I might want to go eat on the road. So if I had to give you one restaurant on the road, that this is it. You can only go to one more, you know, one last one. Oh, my goodness. Uh, what would it be? What's your favorite road rest restaurant? You know, I think maybe to get people to listen uh, for the next podcast, since you, that's a great question. Did you think about it? I'm going to think about it. And I'm actually going to come up with, I'll, I, I will come give up the top five. Or yes. Something. I will come up with the number one, but I will share some of my four, whenever we all can travel freely again, some of my favorite road travel restaurant ideas. I've got, uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I love interacting with people about that on Twitter, as you know, because look, I, I want people, you know, it's it's good to have good travel experiences because then you spread the word about a place and it encourages to go to more places. And I think, uh, you know, to 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 accumulate experiences in your life is a great thing. And so you want to, you know, that, that's why I like to answer people's questions about travel things, because, you know, I want people to have a good experience wherever it is they go. You know, I have uh, a great fondness for for the lovely Mrs. Followell and I going to Mexico. Uh, I get a lot of questions about that, but I just, you know, I like to share my travel knowledge because I want people to have good experiences because that encourages them and then maybe other people to follow suit in terms of a travel thing. So next week, I'm going to have a list of restaurants. There you go. Yeah. Well, let's talk about one of my favorite cities in the world, and that's New York, which uh, we have experienced many things there on Mavs trips, whether I was working there or going there for trips when I knew the Mavs were there for a few nights and I would go up and, and hang with the team and go out. I will say the Oshaval Burger. Did I take you there last time, or we wanted to go there, and I don't think we had time. We didn't have time. Yeah. Uh, it is by far the best burger in the United States. Whoa! It is a one of the. It's out of Chicago, and it's like a small place in Chicago. There's a huge line, but they opened up about a year ago in New York in Chinatown, and it is unbelievable. It's wow. an absolute go-to every time I go to New York. Now. Okay. Okay. It's it literally the term melts in your mouth is appropriate. So. Um, I'm going to put an endorsement for that one right on, right off the bat and make sure that next time you're in New York, you go, go to that one. My burger spot in New York that I went to was whenever we stayed, we don't stay there anymore, but we stayed at the Parker Meridian hotel yes. in midtown Manhattan. And so it's on 56th street between sixth Avenue and seventh Avenue. And there's a place called the burger joint that's in the lobby of the Parker Meridian hotel, but it's not like a typical hotel restaurant. It's kind of tucked away in the back. If you don't know about it, I yeah, don't think no you sign. Would, yeah, there's no sign. You have to basically know about it and you walk in and it's cash only and it's very, uh, you know, it almost feels like uh, cheeseburger, 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 you know, the Saturday Night Live yes. skit that everything's going fast. You're kind and of furious. scared to order. <laughs> it's cash only, as you yeah. mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> so, and there's there's probably room for 15 people to sit in there, maybe something That's like that. That's a really good burger. Yes. Yeah. That, that, if, if, if I were picking before you had told me about that, if I were just picking out a random, a burger spot in New York that would be probably at the top of my list for a hamburger in New York. But I know there are are many other great options. Well, it's funny you mentioned the Parker Meridian because one of my favorite stories from on the road in general, especially New York, is from there when when I was staying with the team there mm -hmm. one time. I don't know, this must have been ten years ago or so. And uh, there was a huge snowstorm mm -hmm. that came through, and I think the Mavs were playing the next night or something like that in, in Madison Square Garden. So. Uh, I don't know, around four or five o'clock, I go outside. I think I went to get something to eat and I was walking back towards the hotel and I, I literally bump into Mark Cuban mm -hmm. walking down the street. And, you know, the Parker Meridian's Central Park South, 59th Street, kind of 7th Avenue. And he was like, I was like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, I just had to get out of the room. I'm going stir crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's five o'clock and, and, and everything was kind of snowed in. And so he's like, he's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm, 
actually to be honest, I was going to walk to the uh, Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center. As lame as that sounds, I had never seen it before in real life. <laughs> and he's like, okay, let's do that. And I was like, are you sure? Like you really, you want to go do a very touristy thing and <laughs> you know, people know who you are and you know, all of this. So there we go. And we trek over to Rockefeller Center and take a look at the tree. And by that time, you know, it's, it's darker, it's winter and people weren't really bothering him that much. And then we go to, you know, right across the street is the famous St. Patrick Cathedral. Sure. Of course. Oh, we stop, we look at the Saks Fifth Avenue kind of digital display. I mean, we're, we're playing tourist. Mm-hmm. And uh, things I'd never done, and frankly, you don't think about it, but things he'd never done, I guess. I, I, right. The, you know, he has a place in New York. Yeah. All the times he'd never done any of this. And then we're at St. Patrick's, and he's like, I've never been in there. And I was like, you haven't? Like, the famous St. Patrick's? Like, yeah. So we walk in and check it out. It was just kind of odd. I was like, wow, I, he's never done any of these, like, touristy things. I guess some, you know, whether he just had never done it or feels he would get mobbed or what have you, but it was kind of weird and odd to do that there is there is i guess that kind of drives home the point of for uh and i'm sure nobody's going to feel sorry for him about this but for all of the things that fame and fortune bring you there is an isolating feel to it that you feel like you can't do the 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 things that normal people would do for fear of you don't know who or what sort of situation that you're going to encounter or what sort of uh you know what sort of scene you're going to create by your presence there now 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 a little bit later, I'll, I'll get you get to the uh, to the random bumping into Cuban story. Well, that's from what's fun about Orleans, I think too. what's fun about the road. You get into routines, right? Yeah. And you guys, you, know, you take the bus to the hotel, and people go off in their groups and go to dinner, or mm-hmm. maybe you go to the hotel bar, or you have friends in that town, or you're just laying in for the night. Yeah. Uh, but there are those nights, you know, just like what I was relaying, where just something that you didn't plan random happens, and that night continued, where you know it's probably like seven thirty at this point. And we were just going to go back to the hotel, whatever. And then uh, he remembered that uh, the show that was kind of pitching him to go on Access TV, which is a network he used to own, was basically a bunch of guys. It was kind of a Guy Fieri type show, but it was basically a bunch of guys who would go get drunk in a bar, right? <laughs> so, it would, But it was these famous kind of bars in different places. And okay. So it All was right. just kind of drinking in famous bars. Who and knew that there was in it? Who knew? I, I wish I had known a long time ago that I could have made a TV show right. out of that. I don't yeah. even know how successful it was. I don't remember <laughs> the name. I don't know who these people were. But they text him like, hey, we're in New York. We're filming one of the episodes. Like, come meet us at this bar in wherever it was, and, you know, in Tribeca or something. So we just hop in a cab and go down there and end up getting sloshed with these guys at some <laughs> random bar <laughs> luckily they kept us out of the episode they were filming but it turned into one of those random new york nights where you're just kind of having a good time and and it all started from just wanting to go see the christmas tree on a snowed in day and off day on, on a mavs trip you guys did everything it sounds like related to new york at christmas time except you you left out if you did this you left it out but something tells me you didn't do it uh, no skating at the uh, around the tree there at Rockefeller. Yeah, Center. I thought maybe holding hands and skating around the tree was was a bridge <laughs> too far for that. You know, we got we did get the St. Patrick's and we we gla- you know looked at the tree uh, longingly. But yeah, I, I, I did you light a candle in, in St. Patrick's Cathedral? I don't that. believe yeah. I don't believe I did. Yeah, I'm yeah. not Catholic, so I guess I didn't. I've done some. Uh, I've done a few uh, offerings of lighting candles in St. Patrick's Cathedral. I actually stumbled into about the last 20 minutes of a mass ceremony on Saturday evening there. And it's, it's, you know, it's an amazing 
from an architectural standpoint, it's amazing when you're inside or when you see it from the outside for that matter. But there's just uh, there's a really nice feeling when you're in there. So that's cool to hear that you guys went there and enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun. And, I, you know, I, I think I mean, what tell me something random because you've obviously traveled with the team much more than I have. So there has to be moments where you've found yourself with Cooperstein and Charo at some random bar <laughs> at 3 a.m. I mean, there has to be some funny story or something. Okay, so, and I actually remember the date of this because it was, uh, it was a unique game. So uh, in December of 2007, and, the, and for whatever reason, because it was like the first time that New Orleans had beaten Dallas in a long time, uh, you know, remember that the Hornets had to play the 05-06 and 06-07 season primarily in Oklahoma City. So uh, in the 07-08 season, the Mavs played down there on the 1st of December. And New Orleans tied the game very late in regulation because Peja, remember that Stoyakovich played with New Orleans for a few seasons. And Peja hit a ridiculous corner three when Jop tried to get out there and contest the shot in the corner, but Sagana was maybe a split second too late. Even still, given his length, he was still able to get out and provide at least some token contest of the shot. But Peja still was able to hit a ridiculous corner three deep, deep in the corner, about as tough of an angle as you can have it, about as far back in the corner as it could be. So Peja makes this shot. That forces overtime, and the Mavs go on to lose the game. And, and you know, as I recall that 07-08 season, that was already the first of a handful of frustratingly close losses that had occurred. More were going to occur that year. Um, if you recall, uh, some of that was why they felt like that's why they needed to trade for Jason Kidd, because Kidd would be somebody who would be better down the stretch Was this of games. in your own game with the... Uh... No, this was pre J Kid. Never mind. Yeah, pre yeah, pre Jason Kidd. So so they there was a controversial game right after J Kid got traded against I think in New Orleans where J Kid didn't throw the ball in. Right. Avery had Josh throw it in. It was a bad throw, and yeah, and I think that that was the straw that broke the camel's back in the Avery J Kid relationship. So so that that uh, three was made by Peja that tied the game with a couple of seconds left in regulation. The Mavs go on to lose the game in overtime. So we stayed over in New Orleans. I don't remember where we were playing on Monday night, somewhere else. We stayed over, and we weren't going to leave until noon on Saturday. Now, that was, uh, you know, 12 and a half years ago. I was a little younger then and a little bit more excited about a the A little prospects. more full throttle. Yeah. <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't looking up recipes. <laughs> yeah, I was not looking up recipes about how to make balsamic apricot glaze to put on my chicken at home. I was excited about a night out in New Orleans. And so this is kind of in the... The infancy of texting and, and, and our buddy Chuck Cooperstein, the radio voice of the Mavs, is a little bit slower in terms of catching up to no. the rest of us on texting. But he was able to text uh, and say, I'm at Pat O'Brien's. Cuban has just walked, or Cuban and I are together because I think they had bumped into each other by chance on the street because Mark was just walking down Bourbon Street by himself because he was just kind of annoyed about how the game had played out. And he was just walking around sort of, uh, maybe not in a trance, but just walking down Bourbon Street, just wondering, what am I going to do tonight? And, you know, I'm just, I need to, I need to walk. I need to get walk this off, off some my energy. Yeah. Walk off some energy. Yes, there you go. So he and Coop happened to see each other. I was out having dinner with, the, with the, somebody from the TV crew. And he said, you need to get over here now because we're going into Pat O'Brien's and I think you're going to want to come over and hang out for a while. So I go over to Pat O'Brien's 
and famous New Orleans, yes. uh, Bourbon Street with yep. the hurricanes. Yes, the frozen red. Uh, yep, red, very boozy drinks. Yeah, the drink that uh, I, I think there's. Uh, I mean, even in New Orleans, I think isn't there a limit on how many of those you can order? You can only have two, or maybe you can have more than that. Whether it's a limit or not, you should probably only have two. Yeah, <laughs> that's really good advice to only have two of those. So I met up with uh, Chuck and Cuban at Pat O'Brien's in New Orleans. Talk and about. I mean, when you're thinking party group. Yeah, that's those are the three. <laughs> well, the, the the group grew larger as the night went on and other people from the travel party showed up and we just sort of made friends with people. As a matter of fact, there's a group that's from Pennsylvania that there was a husband and wife that ended up hanging out with us for a significant stretch of time that night that Coop still sees occasionally when we go on the road up to the northeast. Like he like he made friends with these people and stayed in touch with them for, for and and you know, develop kind of a long distance friendship with this couple. Uh, but but this was during or very shortly after Dancing with the Stars and oh, Mark right. had been on there. So one of the things that really amazed me was how well he handled random people coming up asking for pictures in a bar situation. Because, dude, it happened a lot that night. I mean, this was kind of, this was obviously way before Shark Tank and his, the Celebrity that he's generated out of Shark Tank. It's his first is. mainstream kind of yeah. out of the crazy sports fan and do everybody else. Yep. Yep. And so he did Dancing with the Stars and was getting a lot of requests for people coming up to take pictures and such. And, you know, was so gracious and so accommodating to people doing that. And it was really interesting to see how a person with some degree of fame handles that situation. And he couldn't, you know, always not only gracious and by gracious and accommodating, I mean, not just willing to take the picture, but when he did it, a smile on his face, engaging with the person when they asked. Sure, of course, not acting like, you know, that it was a problem or being right. beaten down about it by gracious and accommodating. That's what I mean. Making the person feel like th that it wasn't an intrusion to ask that, you know, they were going to get their quote unquote money's worth out of the experience. That it wasn't just going to be we're going to take one picture. And we're going to interact for 1.7 seconds. And that's it. You know, there was there was some warmth and some interaction there and some, you know, pleasantries, at least that were exchanged. That was pretty cool to see that. And that night ended up, uh, as many nights do on Bourbon Street, uh, that night ended up probably at approximately 4.30, 4.45, 5 o'clock in the morning, something along those lines. There may have been getting back to quite a few too. hurricanes consumed. Uh, yeah, among other things. Was yes. there karaoke? There was no karaoke uh, to my knowledge. Now, the Cat's Meow on Bourbon Street is a famous karaoke place. I have been there. I have been there uh, during a night of French Quarter drinking and been willing to sing before. But this particular night, if we did go there, there was no singing that was involved. It was more just kind of bouncing around and hopping to different bars. Did you go to Jean Lafitte's, the old the old bar that's way further down? Jean Lafitte's Black, yes. Blacksmith Shop. We did not go to that. No, nope, we did not. It was all, we stayed within the very well-lit, typical confines of Bourbon Street that stretch, that everybody knows that stretches basically from Canal Street on one end. And then it's, it's kind of the... You're yeah, you're towards the end. Yeah, you're probably about two thirds of the way down. I, I think when you're at Pato's, uh, the Cats Meow, I want to say, is at St. Peter's. And then maybe another two or three blocks after St. Peter's is kind of where the really uh, the biggest touristy pedestrian at nighttime area of Bourbon Street comes to an end. And then you get to more of just an entirely different vibe and it's not nearly as touristy. You have to walk another two or three blocks. And I've been down to Jean Lafitte's many, many times and it's a super cool place. 
That's the home of the uh, Voodoo Daiquiri, as a matter yes. of fact, is their famous drink there. Oof, which those is, will uh, kill you too, yeah. but trust me. <laughs> I wouldn't advise drinking more than two of those. Yeah, so those they, are... they, they claim to be the oldest bar in, in New Orleans. Which, yes. But it's it's great. Oldest bar in America, I think, as a matter of yeah, fact. It's, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a must-go. It's, it's a good dive. They had a guy playing the piano in the back. I was there when the old man that had been there for 50 years was still alive and right. there back in probably about 15 years ago, but. Uh, you know, one one quick one on Cuban uh, as well about New Orleans. I went to the All Star Game there, uh, whenever it was there, six seven years ago, mm-hmm. and we were together at the uh, tech conference that they have Friday morning when they have speakers about the future of technology and all that. And then right afterwards, you know, it's like, well, he was hungry. Like, where are we going to go to lunch? And you know, I'm kind of googling, you know, some of the nicer places in town. And right. He sees an IHOP about a block away, and so we <laughs> go to IHOP, and this is so. That that is kind of to, you know, piggyback on the regular guy. Yeah, you know, he just IHOP's great. Let's yeah, go you're, there. You're googling like, okay, what cool Emerald restaurant is right. open down here now, or like, what Brennan's family restaurant can we go to that's really nice? Oh, let's go to IHOP. Right. So that that's what we did. Well, um, yeah, we'll have more of these as the weeks go on. We've got plenty of stories from from the road, things that we've experienced together. Yes. Um, I want to quickly touch on the fact that. Fox Sports Southwest, your TV home, they yep. are running some uh, replays. Uh, do you know exactly which games they're doing? So last night, I stumbled on this. I did not look at their Twitter, unfortunately, earlier in the day to know specifically at this at this point in time last night. But uh, somebody hit me up on Twitter and said that, uh, you know, would I please call them and, like, read them a bedtime story? They, they missed my voice. And I said... <laughs> I looked on Fox Sports Southwest because I thought I had seen somebody else mention that they were playing some encores of some Stars games. And I figured, well, if they're doing Stars games, I'm sure they're doing Mavs games. And I happened to turn on at the right time last night to see that they had done an encore presentation of the Mavs Orlando Magic game that was uh, Dallas won it by 1.107-106. It was November the 6th at American Airlines Center. So on Thursday night... And forgive me for not knowing the times, but but uh, this will at least give you some guidance when when and where to look for it. On Thursday night on Fox Sports Southwest, you'll be able to see an encore presentation of the Mavs and Spurs November the, I believe it would be the 18th, November 18th game, Lucas 42-point triple-double. Uh, the Mavs won the game, led the whole time, but it got close at the end, if you recall. Uh, Rudy Gay and Brent Forbes hit some big shots late in the game, and I think the Spurs got to maybe within two or three points in the last minute. Luca hits a big three over Brent Forbes with maybe 30 seconds to go. That's kind of the dagger. It put him up by five or six. It put him over 40 points. So he had a 42-point triple-double that particular night. So that game's going to be on. And then one of my favorite games from the entire season will be on an encore presentation on Saturday. Again, forgive me for not remembering the time, but this will guide you when to go look for it. Saturday, Fox Sports Southwest will have an encore presentation of the Mavs-Houston Rockets game that was played the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Uh, Luca had, I believe, 41 points in that game. Uh, that was one of his signature games of the year to me because that was another game where the Mavs led. They opened up a pretty significant lead in the third quarter. Houston started shooting and making a lot more threes. Uh, they were shooting plenty of threes. They just happened to start making a lot more of them, Brian. I mean, you know they're going to shoot a lot of them. The question right. is, are they going to make a lot? And, and they got back pretty close to Dallas early in the fourth quarter of that game. And remember that this is kind of at a time when Rick was still tinkering with how he was using Luca from a rotation standpoint. And it was in that window of time when he was sitting Luca basically the first half of the fourth quarter. He'd play Luca, and, and, and not to say that this has gone away, it still happens actually quite frequently. 
But he'd play Luka the whole third quarter, then sit him for the first half of the fourth quarter, and then bring him back in at the six-minute mark. Well, he'd come under, Rick had come under some criticism for that approach when they lost to the Knicks on the road that, you know, he had yeah, a great, they were struggling in the fourth. Yeah, time. they were struggling. And by the time he got back into the game, you know, the, the struggles were, were too great to overcome at that point and managed to win the game. They didn't bury the Knicks when they had their chance. So in this game, uh, Rick went back to Luca a little bit earlier than he normally did actually quite a bit earlier, probably because of the run that Houston was making with uh, eight and a half, nine minutes to go in the game and brought him back into the game. And Luca had a fantastic fourth quarter. Um, you know, one player of the week the next day because he had two 40-point triple-doubles that week, one against San Antonio and one against Houston. That He'd also had that insane game against Golden State where he had like 22 points, five rebounds, and five assists in the first quarter and became the first player to outscore, out-rebound, yes. and out-assist an entire team for a quarter since like Allen Iverson in 2003. That was during the 40-point win run. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So... Um, that Houston game when Luca went berserk in the fourth quarter and led them to what ended up being a fairly comfortable margin of victory will be on Saturday on Fox Sports Southwest, Saturday evening, Saturday night. Again, I don't know exactly the time, but I know that those are two encore presentations they have, uh, they have coming up in the days and weeks ahead. Well, if you need to get your sports fix, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as I mentioned to you on Twitter, uh, when somebody asked you to, to uh, tuck them in bed, uh, that is actually how my my dad, Nick Damaris, used to tuck me in bed. Instead of reading me a bedtime story, being a sports-obsessed kid, uh, he, <laughs> you would, were a sports he obsessed would do play-by-play play of a game he would just make up. <laughs> and I would rivet it. And he was, you know, the Oilers were playing or the Astros or Rockets being from Houston. Sure. And, and then he would always do it by quarter and leave me hanging, you know. But... Uh, Dan Pastorini was handing off to Earl Campbell. Absolutely. And, yeah, sure. Dan yes. Pastorini with a touchdown pass to, to Mike Renfro. He was inbounds on this particular one, of course, right? Right. Oh, of course. Yeah, don't bring that up. That's still a little raw. <laughs> so, yes. But, you know, listen, there's much more bigger things than, than no sports on our plate, but sports do bring people together. Of course. And, and, you know, we've all had our issues with parents or kids, if you're a parent now, but sports is always something you can talk about. and. So not having it is something that's missing and having these outlets to uh, to relive some memories and talk about it is a good thing. And uh, we'll be back next week. We hope you enjoyed this one. Ask us some questions on Twitter. We, we're happy to answer those as well. I'll you ask you the input? first question. How did Greg Bingham do in any of those games that your dad oh, was doing fake play-by-play great for? Great number 54. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first Oilers defensive player that I could think of from that era off the top of my head. From the love you, Blue. Well, Robert Brazil just recently got into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good one. Good one. Uh, yep. my, my brother, when we played one-on-one football in the backyard, uh, it was the day of the tearaway jersey. You're right. And right. so... Even though I was just wearing a, you know, a T-shirt, uh, he would grab it until it tore <laughs> and say, tear away jersey. And, of course, my, my mom wasn't too happy with those games. But uh, Y'all come in now. Y'all get out of the yard. Stop that. Yeah, yeah. that's what you get. Ted, you know, stop doing that to Brian. You get two balls. He's seven years older, so you can just imagine. Uh, so, so, yeah, I so, uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll, we'll do it again. For and sure. And, uh, yeah, get Get that top five list ready for for next week, and uh, we'll have more for you. This is 77 Minutes in Heaven. I'm Damaris. He's following.